Thank you so much, Deacon Susan, for leading us in our service, and we welcome everybody here, both our brothers and sisters in Christ and visitors. We are at the end of the series called Two Ways to Live, and the purpose of Two Ways to Live is to equip us both with the content and also the desire for us to share the most important person in the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what kind of world do we live in now as compared to previous generations? I think we live in a world of choice. There's so many choices, we're drowning with choices. So I've entitled this, The Necessity of Choice. So I was reading a Facebook post of a life coach, and life coaches now are huge in our modern day world. And part of her writing was, uh, she was missing something in the kitchen. She was missing a bin, uh, because the old one had broken down, and then she was looking for one, and where do you look? You look online, right? And she went online, she found more than 40 different types of bins you can put into your cupboard and in your kitchen, pull it out conveniently, neat and nice. And she spent more than three hours into the night just deciding on a bin. And she went to bed without having made the decision and was totally stressed out. What do you call that? Too many choices. Then I read the Facebook post of another one. A uh, post of another one she says, "There you are buying your groceries online. You go on groceries, and she came down to yogurt, right? And with yogurt, you have low-fat yogurt. You got natural yogurt. You got Greek yogurt. You got yogurt with chocolate uh, chips in there. And then she realized, hang on a minute, do I really need yogurt in the first place? Now I start with so many choices. Have you ever bought, gone to buy Panadol?" The good old days, there was only one type of Panadol, no? Now you stare, and there are about 20 different types. You've got to work out, what kind of headache do I have? <laughs> you have to self-diagnose your own headache before you take the Panadol. And what intensity do I take it? And you go into a restaurant, and she carries on writing, scanning through several pages of a menu. Right? Should I go for a starter? Should I go for a main course? If it's the main course, do I feel like chicken? Do I feel like beef? Do I feel like uh, seafood? Do I feel like vegetarian? Finally, you go for the big things you have to make a choice on. Your holidays. Now that PSLE is over, you notice the, the attendance has gone down? Because the parents left already. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> Enough of the stress. They are on the first plane out of Singapore. They are in Malaysia, buying things three times cheaper. Right? So book a holiday, but you will never book a prepackaged holiday. Because you're not in charge of your time. You will go for one of those, you master of your holiday. You plan the time. So where do you go? You go to Lonely Planet to find the places that people do not know. But everybody who looks at Lonely Planet will know the 100 places you must go to. So life is full of choices. And does choices enrich our life? And here's one way to think about it. We live in a world drowning with freedom. That the greatest virtue in life is freedom. And freedom of choice is right there. But for the freedom of choice, from what I tried to share this morning, to start our time together, you have the stress of choice. From our medicines to our choices of day-to-day -day things to our big things like the holidays, I haven't even gone to the choices of which university should I go to? Which faculty should I go to? Which school should I go to? Haven't even gone to what to look for in a life partner. Haven't gone to... Should I choose God? And if there's a God, which God? There is the stress of choice. And for some of us, we reach a stage in which we may be mentally, emotionally unable to choose. We call that paralysis from choice or of choice. The possible cures of this, quite simple. Let's go back to the life of limited choice. 
In the life of limited choice, don't go, don't go online, just go to the nearby uh, grocery shop, the nearby shopping mall, the nearby shopping centre, the nearby market. Or you can switch from online to on-site, or you really have reached a stage of paralysis, you're mentally and emotionally not capable of making decisions, you get someone to choose for you. And some of you may have arrived there, I don't know what to choose, choose for me. Lah. Right? Where does that lead us? Learning to choose is hard, says this writer, Barry Swartz. Learning to choose well is harder. And learning to choose well in a world of limited possibilities is harder still, perhaps too hard. And how do you make a decision in which you will not regret? I told you to buy the car last year, what? COE so low. Huh? Now you buy car? Cannot buy. Because it's so high. 150,000, my goodness. The hard truth of choices more than COEs is that you have to know the link between a momentary choice with lifelong repercussions. A momentary choice with lifelong results or consequences. Results is positive. Consequences and repercussions may sound negative, but it is. Where it moves in this direction, between choice and living with that choice. A moment of pleasure, a lifetime of addiction. A moment of unfaithfulness, you're travelling overseas, your spouse is not with you, your wife is not with you, you think you just have a fling, a one-night stand, your whole life burns up in ashes. Is that true? There is a very deep link between choice and consequences. And so Esau, in a moment of hunger, sold his birthright and never got it back. David, in a moment of lasting, he sees Bathsheba, doesn't know her name, finds out who she is. She's the wife of his commander. And he says to his right-hand man in the palace, his palace aide, go get her. A moment with lifetime repercussions. The whole of Israel broke up into two nations. So what moments have you repented of? Moments that have now broken up your life with God and with others. If you repented, praise God. But maybe you remember it, you will never forget it. And all you do is not repent, you regret it. To repent and regret are two different things. You can repent plus regret, but you can regret without repenting. Regretting is just horizontal. Repenting is saying, Oh, help me, God, I sin against you. Against you and you alone have I sinned. There was David's psalm in Psalm 51. Or worse still, you could be sitting here and you're still hiding what you should have repented and regretted. The moment, the momentary choice with lifelong negative repercussions. May I stretch it slightly further? That the repercussions are not just earthly, but eternal in its consequences and results, in where we land up, right? So I've given this many times, it struck me and warned me, right? I was at a city in, in Australia, having dinner with some pastor friends there, caught up with them. And then one of them took a phone call, he left the table. By the time he came back, his face had obviously changed. There was like an ashen look on his face, so down, and we asked him what it was. He just got the news that 
one of the most well-known pastors in the city, right, who had mentored so many people one-to-one, mentored other younger pastors. The police had just busted his, his home and found him with stacks and stacks of pornography. They didn't find him merely with stacks and stacks of pornography. They found him with stacks and stacks of child pornography. Pedophilia. Months later, they find out, they ask, how, how on earth did this happen to you? He said, one night while he was working late into the night, into the wee hours of the morning, you know what you do in the singularity of your room, in the privacy of your room, in the confidentiality when no one is looking at you, defines who you are. It's not how you behave in public. It's how you behave in private discipleship and private obedience and morality. He wondered to himself, I wonder what child porn looks like. And he clicked. And he never stopped clicking. Years later, they find him with stacks and stacks of child porn. You sitting here? Are you carrying on with bad choices? And all that you have is your ability to hide it for now. There is nothing you can hide from God. Praise God. Amen? Hello, are you awake? If God didn't examine our hearts and brought us to a judgment day, we would carry on in perpetuity in our pride, in our rebellion, in our sin against God. Thank God for God. Thank God He knows right from wrong. Thank God God created us to know black from white, not 50 shades of grey. So what are the real cures to our choices? You have to sort out what you value the most. But more importantly, the cure is you sort out who values you the most. The first one is good but inadequate. Why? You sort out what you value the most. That is subjective. Let's say you know for sure you carry a defective heart gene, hypertension, strokes, right? I'll say more about the many deaths that has happened between last week and this week. And you know you should go fat-free and you should know you eat a healthier diet. And it's proven around the world the, the most, the best diet is the Mediterranean diet. Lots of beans, lots of veggies in there. The worst diet, I wouldn't say what it is. And there you are, you have a choice to make. Uh, okay, fried chicken or fried chicken? <laughs> fried chicken is tasty. I just had some Popeyes. I said, this is good. This is very good. It's very good for my taste. It's very bad for my heart. <laughs> so it's whether you value the taste more than the health benefits. And oftentimes we go for taste more than health benefits. Is that true? If you, it is, this is a church. Better be honest. Lah. Do you choose your food, your lunches and your dinners based on how healthy it is or how tasty it is? The normal person chooses for how tasty it is not how healthy it is, until you suffer a stroke and you survive that stroke, will you go back to all that fried food? Uh, depends. You sort out who values you the most, and this is begging the question, God values you the most. God loves you the most. He sent Jesus to die for you. Then why is it you won't choose Him? 
If you put Jesus into your life, it changes your whole value system. It, it revalues your values, it reprioritizes your priorities. And that's so important. And so through two ways to live, the choice we must all make. The first box, this is box number six. The first box says God is the creator of the world. He's the rightful ruler of the world. And so the crown you should draw, God has the crown. He created you. He created you to rule the world under Him. But is that the way it is now? Leads you to the second box. We all cut God out. We rebel against God. We take the crown and put on our small crowns and we live our life our own way without Him. And we think that way of living is the best way of living. The choice that we make to live in rebellion against God, in sin against God, has no repercussions. And so, there are. Then the next few boxes will lead you to this. God did something about this. Firstly, He punished us with death. Man is destined to live and die once and once only and then face judgment. You have only one life to live. There are no repetitions of life like reincarnation. You either live choosing God and be spared because you choose His Son or you choose to reject His Son and God's wrath is upon you. There are two ways to live. Our way. We reject God. We run our own life. We are condemned by God. We face firstly small d death, your physical death. Then you face big d death, your spiritual death, judgment, and you find yourself in a place called hell. It's not a word that we like. It's not a likable four-letter word. But it's there because of Satan's sin and God's wrath against us. Doesn't this sound very harsh? It depends on how seriously you see, you view sin. Right? And so we as Singaporeans, those listening on site, uh, online, I read this story, the headline runs, the headlines in the national papers, Straits Times runs this way. 21.5 years jail, 18 strokes of cane for a man who killed his two-year-old daughter and burned her body in a pot. After taking drugs, the man slapped his two-year-old daughter so hard that she died. Have you ever been slapped? I've been slapped a few times, once in primary school, by a, I was a, a young boy in school. The Indian principal looked so huge. He caught me out with others. I was not guilty, can I plead that? But pushed along with the crowd that was making noise as we went back from recess to our classes. He said, you, 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 come on! In front of the whole school, right? It was a quadrangle, built the old style. One, two, three, four, bang! The, the reason I can retell that again and again uh, is that I never forgot that. <laughs> it was so stinging. It was so hard. I, I thought my head had spun out, right? As I tell this, the shame of being... This man, a father, slaps his own two-year-old daughter so hard that she died. He and his wife then burned the body in a metal pot to destroy the evidence. They put the pot with the burned remains in a cardboard box. They sealed it with a masking tape and cling wrap before putting the box under the kitchen stove in their flat. You want me to carry on? Do you want me? This is in progressive, civilised Singapore. Of course, this man was under drugs. You and me who are not under drugs will never behave like that to do such harm to our loved ones. But pause, pause, put the, the brick, just touch the brick slightly, the morality brick, and touch it slightly for yourself. 
When you escalate a petty fight in your marriage with your wife, with your husband, when you escalate a petty fight with your teenage child, when you escalate a petty fight with your aged father because he's so unreasonable with his dementia, you blow it up to World War III, you have enough venom and poison in your heart to wish them away. You know, wishing them away, that your life will be better without them, you are doing no, you're doing no better than this man. For Jesus taught in the Sermon Mount, if you've got anger in your heart against your neighbour, go leave your sacrifice there, your offering there, go reconcile to your brother because anger is tantamount to murder. So you don't think? So you still think God's wrath upon you is undeserved? That you're so capable of having so much venom in your heart that you wish your loved ones dead at some point. If not dead, at least missing in my life. Missing my life through divorce, missing my life so I can walk out and start a new family, missing my life so I don't have to look after my aged father and mother who look after me. God's wrath remains on us if we do not accept Jesus as our Saviour and our Lord. Two ways to live. Or we could go the other way and humbly confess and humbly repent as we listen to the good news that God's wrath doesn't have to remain on us forever and we will not be banished to hell forever. We submit to Jesus. You depend, you completely trust in Jesus' love that resulted in Jesus' death and resurrection. And on Jesus' death and resurrection, you're forgiven completely by God, undeservedly by God, mercifully by God, graciously by God, lovingly by God. And you become, you are turned from an enemy. You now carry an IC and passport that has on your IC and passport in God's eyes, sinner. Do you know that? That's your nationality. <laughs> if you have a spiritual IC, your new IC is former sinner saved by grace through Jesus. They'll give you a new IC. Not they. God the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. You're forgiven by God and given eternal, not damnation, but eternal life with God. And so, it's so stuck and so easy. Of course, believe in Jesus. But why do people not believe in Jesus? As we learn this way, a skill to share the good news, a, a skill to share Jesus with our family and friends. And that's what these two ways to live is for. So what is it we can't or won't accept of the dark side of us or the dark side of God who judges us? Is that a bad side of God? No, it's the same good God. His holiness should have kept us away from Him, but His mercy, His grace and His love have brought us near to Him. So when God judges us and punishes us, it's still the good side of God. Is it because you can't accept the reality of your sinfulness and your fallenness? You find it so hard to believe that God should judge such a nice person like you. There are no nice people in God's eyes. They are only sinful and fallen people. Is that right? That's absolutely right. There are glimpses of likeness, uh, niceness, because we still carry the image of God. It's a broken image, it's a blurred image. Nevertheless, it's still a good image. You are still capable of some good in your life, or a lot of good, but not enough good to undo your sins so that you are promoted 
to heaven forever. So what is it you cannot or will not accept? And the two words need explaining, you know. Cannot means you're incapable. Something is stopping you. So with the Asian Games still on, ending tonight, we should rejoice because we had our first goal in athletics with Shanti Pereira, right? And so what is it that a cannot person can never do? A physically handicapped person, they can never run the way Shanti does, right? Just because they are physically handicapped, that's cannot. Will not is a totally different thing. It's a choice you proudly and stubbornly make. Then no matter what the evidence, the greatest evidence is what we just read, 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus appeared. He appeared to 500. He appeared to Peter, head of the mission to Jerusalem, to the Jewish folk. Then he appeared to me, Paul, who used to hate Jesus and his people. And by the time I, from the time I met the risen Jesus, my whole life changed. If you met the only person who came back from the dead, I would reckon you would believe in him. And Paul, from that moment onwards, loved the Lord Jesus, loved the Lord Jesus, served the Lord Jesus. His assurance is, he is risen. He is risen. You want to disprove Christianity, you want to reject Christ, find his body. You find his body, then you have the evidence and the confidence to reject the Bible and to reject Jesus. As long as you do not find a body, you better believe. You will never find the body of Jesus because he's risen. He's seated in heaven. And right now, as I preach to you as a channel, as a vessel, as an instrument of preaching the gospel, he's listening to my faithfulness or unfaithfulness in preaching this. He's listening to whether you are going to respond rightly or wrongly. You find the body of Jesus, then you have every right not to believe in him. You don't find the body of Jesus, you should humbly accept that he died, he suffered, he died, he rose, and he will come again. Is that too hard to believe? No. I can share that with my two-year-old granddaughter, and she can understand that. Every time I we zoom with her because they're now in Australia and my son's studying there for, in Bible college and we zoom with her and ask her what she's reading, reading Bible. Uh, where? Jesus and the cross. <laughs> she doesn't move from Jesus and the cross and I told you this, I don't know, I said it in a different setting. We were there to help them settle in. Not easy, two young kids both, and she's just above two and the other one's just one year old. Not easy at all, settling into a new place. So one day she was there in the kitchen in the, in the place that the college provided and she's hanging on to a pole uh, that holds up the, the kitchen uh, shelf. And we ask her, what are you doing hanging on to a pole? Dying on the cross. <laughs> I'm not kidding you, she said. So, <laughs> so what do you say as the grandfather? You don't need to die on the cross. Jesus died already, he didn't. I won't die. <laughs> she insists. And so explaining the gospel, she knows it's about the cross. She knows that you're made new by the cross. She knows that Jesus loves you. Can you not understand that? Are you incapable of understanding that or unwilling to understand that? Which one is it? You're totally capable to understand that. You're totally unwilling to accept that. Why? 
Why is it we can't or won't accept the beauty of God's love? Why is it we can't accept okay, the beauty of eternal life offered by Jesus alone? You can't accept the dark side about us. You can't accept the good side about God. So what can God do? Be neutral to you? No. The beauty of God's love. The beauty of eternal life. Between two weekends, we have lost, almost lost count of the number of people who have passed away. Twelve funerals. So much so within the pastoral chat, by the time we got to eight or nine, we asked ourselves, who, who is this? Where is this going to happen? And who goes where? Which pastor will take which funeral? We were asking ourselves, we were lost in bereavement, lost in funeral weeks, lost in going, and one passed away, and it, the funeral weeks being held in Malaysia. And a team of us flew up to Malaysia to do that. That's what we do. You ever face the devil or loved one in your family? You ever? And the devil or loved one in your family, we will hear eulogies. And the eulogies of your grandpa, your doting and loving grandpa and grandma, who always did things for you, who always went to pick you up when your parents couldn't, who were always patient and understanding of you, or you could be your eulogy of your doting dad and mum or your spouse who have passed on earlier in life or unthinkably a child. I got a message in our pastoral chat among the senior pastors in our denomination and the genuine question was, uh, has anybody conducted a funeral of a stillborn child? Is there a Bible passage to comfort the parents of a stillborn child? By God's grace, we have experienced that kind of suffering in our midst and suffering is always given for our becoming more glorious in Christ Jesus. So I sent him one that has ministered to me. It's better not to be born than to be born and see the oppression and evil under the sun. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. So you've gone to a funeral, what would you say to the one who has passed away? Let's say it's sickness. It could be a long-term illness that finally the death has brought an end to the suffering. It could be a sudden illness that took your father or mother by a stroke. And of all the funerals, I think five or six lost fathers this, between these two weeks. We go there, we conduct those funerals. And you say, dad and mom, grandpa and grandma will never face another season of suffering, another season of sickness, because they died. That's half the truth. Grandpa, grandma, dad, mum, husband, wife will never face another season of suffering, not because they died, but because Jesus died and rose again. And the words of one writer, right, paraphrase it to be, right? What is it? Jesus spent his life for us that we might spend our life with Him and God for all eternity. Is Christianity too difficult to understand? Jesus spent His life for you on the cross so that you would spend your life with Him in eternity because the old order of things has passed away. The new has come, Revelation 21, verse 1 to 5, where you enter a kingdom where there will be no more tears, no more suffering, no more death, because there's no more Satan and no more sin. It's the new order. If you believe in Jesus, if you don't believe in Jesus, 
you will not be able to say this. Grandpa, Grandma, Dad, Mom, I'll see you on the other side. You name the name of your loved one. So four of my siblings have passed on. Hey, Bob, my second brother, I'll see you on the other side. Hey, Dorothy, I'll see you on the other side, my third sister. Hey, Toshi, my elder sister who married Japanese. Hey, Toshi, I'll see you on the other side. That's your living hope. If you don't believe in Jesus, you will never see them again. Is that too hard to believe? That your last moments in life will define your whole life. So beware your question, where does it come from? From Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden, Satan tempted Eve and then Adam. Why believe in God? His whole heart is not for you, right? You can't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If his heart was really for you, he would deny you no tree. Every fruit from every tree will be yours. That shows he's a really good God whose heart is for you. This God is not for you. Well, as God has always been saying to his people, not why believe in me. Why not believe in me? I'm your creator. I'm your protector. I'm your provider. I'm your saviour. What reasons do you have to not believe in my good heart and my goodness for you as my people? And where do you see this? Can you read the scriptures together with me? You see this in him telling Israel as they enter the promised land. Right? You either choose me or you choose idols that the Canaanites make in place of me. Let's read this together. I've set before you today life and good, death and evil, if you obey the commandments of the Lord our God, that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways, by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. We carry on. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. What do you think Israel chose again and again? She chose more tangible and visible idols as opposed to the God of Israel, Yahweh, who was invisible and seemed so far away from them. Choice has always been a non-negotiable, from creation to redemption. You cannot avoid choice. You have to choose God or the alternatives to God, which is you wearing your own crown and deciding your own identity and your own destiny. Perhaps the greatest Prime Minister of Britain, now the UK, is Winston Churchill, who led them through World War II to stand against Hitler and the Nazis. And he would say in some of his greatest speeches, and so he was invited to his old school called Harlow School, I think, and his speech was most memorable for these words. Never, never, never give up. 
I do not know how long the speech was, but what the students remember are just those words, never, never, never give up. The words of Winston Churchill to his own alumni. Words that the students never forgot. I ask you, which words of Jesus should you never forget? You're very clever. Say, I should remember all the words. Right? I just want you to give me one you should never forget. Say, I remember so many words. Do you remember so many words of Jesus, really? He had seven sayings on the cross. Right? What were they? I commend to you that the words of Jesus you should keep in your heart from now to your end and for eternity is... Can we read this? God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. These are the words of salvation. These are the words of giving you a new life. These are the words of eternal life. To Jesus and His words, we must cling. But why is believing in Jesus so hard, even for us who have believed, to carry on believing, to mature in that belief? Because there are two warnings. First is a paradox, the salvation paradox, that God is revealed most where He is hidden most. And where was God most fully revealed in His love for you? In His mercy and grace, He was fully revealed in Jesus dying on the cross. But no one at the foot of the cross cried out, You are God. You are the Son of God. You are the Son of Man. You have come to save us. No Jewish person cried out. His disciples didn't call out. He was most hidden from them. Where He's most hidden is where He's most revealed. It's true of the life of Jesus. It's true of the life of believers. The only one who called out was the non-Jew, the centurion. Surely, he's the son of God. And so, if you lead someone to believe in Jesus, you preach the true gospel to them, you must warn them of Jesus saying, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up the cross, follow me. Three steps. Die to self, alive in Christ, follow Jesus no matter what the opposition, no matter what the seduction, no matter what the persecution. And then we change from being enemies of God to become children of God. That's why you can call God Abba Father. Right? You want to turn to a man around, around you and say, call him Abba? It's a term of intimacy. You can't. This is a term of intimacy given to Jesus. And so here's a boy. His parents left him very young got divorced, and he's been in foster home, and he was foster home for 832 days. And finally, where he was in an institution, they came and said, there's a couple that's going to become your father and mother and adopt you, right? You know, the, the person in charge of the, where he was, I don't think he truly understood what being adopted meant. He just knew he was being adopted. <laughs> I don't know, he's five, six years old, what does it mean for him? It just means that now he has a permanent home, he won't be shuttled from one foster home to another foster home, and for once he can call somebody Papa and Mama. Right? It's a little bit like that when we start the Christian life, after we become Christians. Right? We just know we are so loved by Jesus, so thoroughly saved by Jesus, but we may not truly really know what it means to be God's people yet.
but God by His Spirit will show you. He's going to make you no longer sinful and fallen short of His glory. He's going to make you glorious in Jesus and through Jesus to be like Jesus, to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, Romans chapter 8. But en route to glory to be like Jesus, you will suffer. Romans chapter 8, verse 17 and 18. There's suffering en route to glory. And so that's what we must get used to as we tell people the true gospel, right? There's a false, there have always been false gospels presenting you the wrong Christ. We here, by God's grace, try our best to preach the gospel Jesus preached, to preach the gospel the apostles preached, so that people will be truly saved. The false gospel is a, called a gospel of ease. Once you believe in Jesus, there'll be no more suffering, no more pain, no more problems, no more retrenchments, no more sickness, no more anything. The gospel of ease is the gospel of health and wealth. The gospel of ease promises you the moment you believe in Jesus, your life becomes a playground. Just play the whole day from morning to night. We preach a gospel of peace. Peace with God through the blood of Jesus. Peace with neighbour through the blood of Jesus. We love God with all our hearts. We love our neighbours with all our hearts, mind and soul. That's very important, right? Ours is a gospel of peace. That even though you believe in Jesus, you may still lose your job. You will still get sicknesses. You will still have problems. And finally, you will die. The true gospel doesn't offer you a playground. It offers you a battleground. But in the battleground against Satan who comes against you with persecution, seduction, temptation, division, Jesus promised to never leave you or forsake you. So as you share this gospel with people, it's very important that we share the salvation paradox. I believe in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're going to sing that song, Jesus is Lord. But that doesn't mean my life will be free of problem and pain. And just because it has problem and pain doesn't disprove Jesus, it actually proves that we are the suffering church following the suffering Christ. And so from this point onwards, you believe in Jesus. Christ was in charge of the good events, of the events of Good Friday. Think about it. Think about that statement. Who was in charge of Good Friday? Who conducted the trial? Who sentenced who? Pilate was in charge. And he says to Jesus, he asks Jesus a question, are you going to answer me? If you don't answer me, do you not realize that I'm in charge and I could put you to death? Little did Pilate know he was merely a human governor for a short time. And then because of fear of losing his job, he chose to sentence Jesus. Who was in charge of Good Friday? God was. Jesus was. He wasn't dragged to his death. He willingly gave up his life. He wasn't murdered. He gave up his life willingly. In your life and my life, when you believe in Jesus, you have to discern between the Babylons that we live in and the Jerusalem Jesus has come to offer you. And so though we suffer, you, you trust in God's sovereignty, all authority given to Jesus in heaven and on earth is given to him. So when you go through problems and you face bullying in school, please know that there's someone bigger than that bully. It's called Jesus.
When you lack knowledge, there's someone wiser than you. So by all means, think about life, but don't overthink life. And I believe so much of our mental unwellness is because we choose to overthink life. And when we overthink life, the mental problems become an illness. And soon enough, because you can't control the future, you will start off taking your life. Please come to that workshop on suicide in a few weeks' time. There's someone better than me. He's bigger than me, he's wiser than me. That's how we live. And so is God's sovereignty through Jesus' authority frightening to you? That you give your life to Him is totally you're out of control, Jesus in control? Or is it liberating and assuring? Surely you must say, when you surrender your life to Jesus, it's liberating, you're not the one who wears the crown, you can't undo your past, you can't be in charge of the present, you have no control of the future. From past, present and future, it belongs to Jesus. Right? And so, is God's sovereignty in Jesus and through Jesus frightening, liberating or assuring? We know the answer is assuring. And so what must you do? If Jesus is truly the best news of God to you, the best offer to you, we choose Him. Right? So I saw this advertisement, if not wrong, uh, when the last Olympics was on and a sporting company put this up. A sporting company put this up and what was the advertisement? Impatience is a vice. No, they say impatience is a virtue. How can impatience be a virtue? In sports, you must be impatient to be a winner. When you know what you want, waiting is not an option. Buy Adidas. I don't know what it was. Right? Or buy Asics. Or buy this brand of thing. You put the gospel in here. When you know what you want, and what you want is Jesus, then waiting to share the gospel is not an option with your loved ones and whoever puts in your way. So practice gospel in patience. Jesus left us two great things. The Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations, and the Great Commandment, to love one another, as He has sacrificially loved us. You will only be great if you obey the two great commissions and the Great Commandment. So in Hokkien, my Tu Liao. You can delay in everything, but you cannot delay sharing the Gospel with your loved ones. Because you do not know how many more days God will give your grandpa, your grandma. Will give each other. That's so important. So we end by, how does this work for us in ARPC? Our theme for the year is strengthening faith, strengthening family. How do we strengthen faith in God? We brought in the Gettys and then City Alight last week. Not for performances, but to drive home the fact that Jesus people and Holy Spirit people, as in Ephesians 5, 15 onwards, we will sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs in our hearts, in our homes, and then on the weekend sing in our churches. For the singing of songs that tell us about Jesus builds up our faith. Back to funerals, okay? Twelve funerals over two weekends. You ever attend a funeral? We have, because it's part of our calling as pastors. When the body, you see the body going into the flames, there's only crying and weeping and shouting and screaming. 
But the way we conduct our funerals is at that point, we sing. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. We sing songs of resurrection. And though the family has choked up and cannot sing, understandably so, we sing them to courage. We sing them to the next step of faith and obedience. That Jesus who made a promise will keep every promise. Amen. That's the power of singing in our hearts, in our homes, in our churches. And the kind of Christians we want to nurture here do not sing once a week. And when we sing, the singers sing to you. Do you remember during COVID? We were all praying, praying, Lord, may COVID pass so that we can sing. Now COVID has passed. You can sing. I stand behind, huh? I don't know about the other pastors, before I come out to preach, and I look and I notice, are you singing or not? God answered our prayer, right? You can now sing. But you stand there, thinking what happened last week, how the children vomited, how the children rebel, how the children... My goodness! is singing the gospel to each other for the next step of faith and obedience and worship of God. Amen? That's so important. Then why have we done two ways to live? I spent about 40, 45 minutes explaining to you. Evangelism, the Great Commission is not the passion and the prayer and the practice of the few in a church. Uh, in every church, uh, there'll be a few people interested in evangelism and the Great Commission. Uh. It's not the interest and the passion of our missions committee. It's not the passion and the interest only of the paid professionals. You bring someone to church and say, uh, Pastor Jeff will convert him. Uh. You ask Pastor Jeff, he can't even con convert a cockroach. Let it, uh, I can't convert anybody. We are not paid to convert you. You are empowered by the Spirit of God to convert people. So we have just taught you a method of doing so, so you understand the content and be able to share Jesus in your own words. So who can do this? Downstairs, Sunday school is carrying on, children's church is carrying on. You ask our teachers downstairs, some of those kids have brought their grandparents to know Jesus, have brought their grandparents to salvation. Kids can learn this, and kids can do this. Amen? So how does it happen? I've shared this a few times, right? You're a busy young couple, you drop your kids off to your grandparents, to your parents' place, look after them while you go off to work. Yeah. Then your grandparents still worship other gods, they have an idol there, you're praying, they are praying to their gods. Then the grandchild, four or five years old, say to Kung Kung, the grandfather or the grandmother, right? Say, Kung Kung, that one not God, no? Only Jesus God. If this man or this woman hears this from anybody else, they will tell them to get out of the house. But because this word was spoken by the grandson or granddaughter, really, ah, so sorry. Grandpa, come church or not? Come, come. I like children's church. Then he comes to church. Before long, grandpa becomes a Christian. That child that we have taught the gospel can share the gospel. The 400 youth we meet every Saturday have brought some of their parents to salvation. I just bumped into one. I said, sorry, I couldn't recognize you. It was my son who recommended us to come to your church. He's studying overseas. There are all kinds of stories to begin your story of salvation, to carry on your story of salvation, so we can all do this. And that's the kind of church we want to be. Totally devoted to God, totally devoted to the Great Commission, and the great commandment to love one another. Do not delay. 
Let's rise and be the church He wants us to be. Let's pray and make the wisest choice. As we end our time together, the real message of the Bible is not two ways to live. The real message of the Bible, there is only one way to live. Who in all their rationality would choose to reject a God who loves them? There are no two ways to live. There's only one way to live, with Jesus as our Lord. Amen? Let's pray. We are so sorry that we live in a world where Satan rules and the Babylons that we create with our own minds and imaginations. We're sorry that we live in a world that has so much freedom of choice, but we usually use our choices the wrong way. In the times in which, in a moment, we choose and choose wrongly, warn us, caution us, awaken us, that, the, that momentary choice can have lifetime repercussions, indeed eternal repercussions. Thank you for being so patient to us, us O oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking to us throughout history and in the last days for thank you for revealing yourself fully in Jesus in the most hidden way through the cross, but the most revealing and fullest way in Jesus. As we have now heard your word, may you by your Spirit humble us to humbly believe in Jesus and find salvation in him. For truly there are not two ways to live but one, to be so loved by you, to be so forgiven by you, and to be so embraced and adopted by you as children of God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. For those who perhaps have not believed up to this point, we pray that we'll pray this prayer of saying sorry for our rebellion, sorry for our sin, and thank you for giving us Jesus that we will believe in Jesus as our personal Lord and Saviour. Unto your glory. Amen.